It's time for Bible College by Radio, brought to you direct from the campus of African Bible College. Of the mighty Red Sea, and he says, I believe you, put your trust in me. And now for today's lesson, let's join Mrs. Nell Chinchin. Welcome to Bible College by Radio. Well, today we begin an exciting story, the story of a Jewish girl named Esther who became queen. Those of you who have not written for your lesson sheets for the correspondence courses still have time to do so, but write today so you won't miss any of these very important and interesting lessons. We have a letter here from Monrovia, Liberia, and I'd like Augustine Davies to share this with us. I greet you and the entire family of African Bible College in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I feel joyful in greeting you and I want the Lord to continue to bless the work of your hand. I want to take this time to commend you for the great work the college is doing for us in Africa as a whole. The Bible teaching of the college over the radio has helped me in my Christian life. Through your correspondent courses, which I am one of the students, it has helped me to develop spiritually. I am grateful to God for such unforgettable work. It is my plan to enter your college, but money problem is the obstacle. However, I always pray to the Almighty to make a way. I have confidence in His promise. Whosoever shall ask the Father for anything in my name, to Him it shall be given. Having this assurance in this promise, I believe one day I will enter the African Bible College. I am calling on you too to join me in prayer for my plan to succeed. Sincerely yours. Well, I certainly would say for someone that has that kind of faith in God's word, God is faithful to his promises. And if you believe it and you claim it, it's as good as done. Before you call, I will answer. And while you're yet speaking, I will hear, saith the Lord. So I am sure that we will soon see our friend here on the campus of African Bible College. And we certainly will encourage him to pursue that worthy vocation. Nathaniel Gay is with us today, and I'd like him to share a letter from Nigeria. It reads, Dear Sir, I listen to your broadcast almost every day on the radio. I have been greatly touched by one of your broadcasts recently. At the end of that broadcast, you concluded by saying that anybody who is willing to attend the Bible college should write to the college for a catalog and detailed information about the college. I am writing you to say that I am interested in undergoing the Bible College course 
as you stated in a broadcast through radio. I shall be very grateful if my request is granted. Thanks for your cooperation. May God bless you in Jesus' name. All right. Well, thank you for that fine letter, and I'm sure the material that our student requested is on the way. And I certainly do know, Nathaniel, that many of our listeners enjoy uh, hearing you read these letters on Bible College by Radio. And I know, too, that it's an encouragement to them as you help with the review of our last lessons. I'm sorry that the book of Ruth was a short little book. It was interesting to me to see the way Ruth was so obedient to Naomi. Yes, that's true, Nathaniel. We saw that Ruth's loyalty and obedience was rewarded, too when she was redeemed by Boaz. What does that word redeem mean? Huh. It means to buy back. Jesus Christ redeemed us. He bought us back with his own blood. How was Ruth rewarded for her faithfulness, Nathaniel? Uh, through there we see she became one of the ancestors of Jesus Christ. Her son was Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David, who was an ancestor of Jesus Christ. She had a wonderful reward. She certainly did, Nathaniel. Ruth's loyalty, faith, and obedience was rewarded. And God will reward those who are faithful to him. Well, let's turn now to the first chapter of Esther. And this is Lesson 5 for those of you who are taking the correspondence course. And we're going to see a most interesting story. But before we begin, let us bow in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, how we do thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you for the many, many things that we have been able to learn from Dr. Luke as he wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that this very same Holy Spirit is the one that can teach us today. And we would invite him to be present in our study, in those that are listening, that their eyes might be opened, even as Jesus opened up the understanding of those disciples on the road to Emmaus. May he open up our understanding today, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in our next series of lessons, we're going to talk about a queen, a beautiful young girl named Star, or Esther. Now, the Jews at this time, in 482 B.C., were prisoners in Persia, and this young Jewish girl who was the queen of Persia, was called by God to deliver her people. We're not told who the writer is of this book of Esther, but we do know that the Holy Spirit himself inspired each word, because even though we do not find the names of God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit in the book of Esther, we see in this true historical story the wonderful providential working of God. Now we're going to be talking more about this big word providence as we continue in our study. In the Gospel of John, we read that the Holy Spirit shall not talk about himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And so this story is truly about the Holy Spirit. We shall learn many things about this wonderful person and I am certain when we finish these lessons in the book of Esther, you will have a new respect and a new understanding of the Holy Spirit himself. Now the book of Esther also contains principles of great value to us. One that we shall see very plainly and emphatically is the principle of obedience. Obedience, the scriptures tell us, is better than sacrifice. 
and to hearken than the fat of rams. And in this book of Esther, we're going to see a whole nation of people blessed by the obedience of one young girl. It is significant to note that God uses women as well as men to further his plans, his providence. We see how God watched over the Jews that had returned out of captivity to their own land and also those who had been taken to the land of Persia and chose to stay there rather than return to Jerusalem. Susa was one of the three capital cities of Persia. Susa, or Shusan, was the name of the city and of the king's palace in the city. It is reassuring to us as we study this book of Esther to realize that while men may fumble and fall, God knows what he is doing. God is sovereign. He is not taken by surprise by any turn of events, but he is using even the sins and mistakes of men to work out his purposes, and his purposes include people. And so our study in the book of Esther will introduce us to some interesting people. Esther, Queen Vastai, King Xerxes, Haman, Mordecai. All will play a part in God's plan for the nation of Israel. Plans that are still being worked out even today. So open your Bibles now to the first chapter of Esther, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Azuerus. This is Azuerus who reigned from India even unto Ethiopia over 127 provinces that in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom which was in Shushan the palace in the third year of his reign that he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants the power of Persia and Media the nobles and princes of the provinces being before him now this was in 483 BC when Xerxes held a meeting at Susa of his princes to make arrangements for invading Greece. A successful war had just been concluded in Egypt, and so there was this big celebration. And we read in verse 4 that he showed his riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, a hundred and fourscore days. And when those days were fulfilled, the king made a feast for all the people who were present in Sushan, the palace, both in great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple and silver rings and pillows of marble upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. And they gave them drink and vessels of gold, the vessels being different one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the bounty of the king. And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel, for so they had appointed to all the offices of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Now here they're having a big feast, and all the big, big people were invited. So this king, Xerxes, or Ahasuerus could show them all his fine, fine things. It took him a hundred and eighty days to show them all the things. And then he gave this big feast which lasted for seven days. Now everything was fixed up too fine. They had a beautiful cloth, gold cups, different, different kinds of drinks, everything that people could desire. And then we read in verse 9 that Vastai the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. Now the king's wife Vastai also gave a feast for the women. The women didn't go to the same feast with the men. 
And then we read that on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman, Bitsa, Habona, Bigtha, Abigatha, Zetha, and Caucus, the seven chamberlains who served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king, to bring Vastai the queen before the king with the royal crown to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen Vastai refused to come to the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was a king enraged, and his anger burned in him. So we see now that on the seventh day, the king sent for his wife, Queen Vastai. He wanted all the people to see what a fine wife he had, but the queen refused to come. She refused to obey the king's command. Oh, the king was vexed too much. And so we read in verse 13 that the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew the law and the judgment. And the next unto him was Karshina, Shetha, Admatha, Tarshish, Miris, Marsana, Mimucan, and the seven princes of Persia and Media who saw the king's face and who sat at the first in his kingdom. What shall we do to the queen Vastai according to the law? Because she has not performed the commandment of the king Ashurias by the chamberlains. Now, so the king turns to all these big men and he asks them, What's the law now? What can I do to this woman? And Mimikin answered before the king and the princes, Vastai, the queen, has not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people who are in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus. This man, Mimikin, says, Oh, the queen has spoiled all our names. She has embarrassed every one of us. For this deed of the queen, he says now, shall come to the attention of all the women, so that they shall look with contempt on their husbands, when it shall be reported. The king Ahasuerus commanded Vastai the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Hmm. Now he's saying here that now everybody is going to be talking the matter. All the women will be following the queen's example and refuse to obey their husbands. And you know this is true. If one woman in a town who is a wife of one big man, and she can act some kind of way, then all the other women, they want to act the same way. You know, children have a game that they can call follow the leader. And in this game, all the children will do everything the one in front can do. And you know, human beings are like that, my friend. They want to do all the things a big man or the big woman can do. It can give them courage to follow a person that is important. And so the man is correct in what he is saying that the women all over will look with contempt at their husbands. That means they will not respect them. Now today, you know, there's a lot of talk about this woman's liberation business, how a woman does not have to obey her husband. But you know that is not God's way. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, we read, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject to their husbands. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, we read the same thing. In like manner, you married women, be submissive to your own husbands. Subordinate yourselves to them and be dependent on them. So that even if any do not obey the word of God, they may be won over, not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their wives, 
when they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves, together with your reverence for your husband. Now, let not yours be merely external adorning, with elaborate interweaving and knotting of the hair and the wearing of jewelry or changes of clothes, but let it be the inward adorning and beauty of the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible and unfading charm of a gentle and a peaceful spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For it was thus that the pious women of old who hoped in God were accustomed to beautify themselves and were submissive to their husbands. It was thus that Sarah obeyed Abraham, following his guidance and acknowledging his headship over her by calling him Lord. And you are now her true daughters if you do right and let nothing terrify you. In the same way now, you married men should live considerately with your wives that your prayers be not hindered. Now that is a very wonderful section of scripture and tells us something about this Queen Vasti that must not have been pleasing to God. And so we read in verse 18 that likewise the ladies of Persia and Media shall say this day unto all the king's princes who have heard of the deed of the queen, thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. Now he goes on to say, oh, the thing is going to spread all over, even this very day. Oh, it can't take long for news to travel. So he says there will be some kind of uprising for truth. And so we read in verse 19, if it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it may not be altered, that vast I come no more before king Ahasuerus, but let the king give her royal estate to another who is better than she. Oh, this man, Memukin, who has been doing all the talking now, says that the king should divorce Vastai, that he should put her out straight, that the king should find a new wife. And when the king's decree which he shall make shall be published throughout all his empire, for it is great, all the wives then shall give to their husbands honor, both great and small. Now if you do this, Mimikin said to the king, then it will make all the women obey their husbands. Now this part is true. The Bible says, except punishment against an evil work is executed speedily, therefore the heart of man is fully set in him to do evil. So the man had the right idea that if punishment was made against this woman straight, then the other women would be afraid to be disobedient. But the wrong part is that the Bible says, and we read in Matthew, that a man must not divorce his wife. But we read in verse 21 that this saying pleased the king and the princess, and the king did according to the word of Memucan. For he sent letters to all the king's provinces, under every province according to its writing, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language of every people. So now we see the king agreed to the thing. He liked the idea. And he sent letters to all the people in their own dialect, telling the men to be strong, to rule over their own household. Now we know that it is God's will for a woman to be obedient to her husband. We have read this now in the New Testament. And this rebellious act of Vasti is the one thing that everyone remembers her for. And yet, one of the things 
that we always marvel over is that God can take even sin and use it to work out his plan. Nothing happens by accident to God. As we read in Proverbs 21.1, a king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. In other words, even this king, King Ahasuerus, was being used by God to work out his plan. Even Queen Vastai's refusal to come to that feast when her husband called her, even though she was doing the wrong thing, still was used to fulfill God's purpose for his chosen people, the Jews. Now this is a wonderful thing to think about, my friend. In these days of uncertainty and confusion, we need to remember God is not confused. God's providence is working out history, not according to man's will, but according to his own will. God knows today what will happen tomorrow. Not only does he know what will happen tomorrow, but he is actually moving people and nations to carry out his plans for the world. And even you, my friends, God even has a plan for your life. Oh, you say, who am I that God should trouble himself about my life? I'm not important, but you are, my friend. You are. You were created by God in his image to glorify God. That makes you pretty important, doesn't it? I sometimes find it hard to believe, Mrs. Chinchi, that God is even working out his plan in my own life. It is really exciting to know that if I commit my life to God, he will be able to use me to help fulfill his purpose for the whole world. That is certainly true, Ganwo. Mrs. Chinchi, you said that we do not know who wrote the book of Esther, but over in chapter 9, verse 20, we read that Mordecai wrote these things and sent them enclosed in letters to all the Jews. And note that's talking about the letters he sent to his people to tell them why they should observe the Feast of, of Purim. But do you think that might be reason to believe Mordecai wrote the whole book of Esther? Uh, Ganwo, I would agree with you that it is very likely that Mordecai is the author of Esther. I think you've cheated a little bit by reading ahead of us. The book of Esther is so exciting. I just had to keep reading once I got started. Actually, Ganwo, this is what I would recommend to all our students that are listening to our new series of lessons on Esther. Read the entire book through at one time and you will enjoy these studies much more. Mrs. Chinchi, you said also that God can take sin and use it to work out his purpose. Why does he permit sin in the first place? God would not permit sin, Ganwo, if he did not intend to overrule and use sin to accomplish his will. Actually, the king himself was in a sinful state of mind and heart when he had that feast in the first place. His heart was filled with pride and he wanted to show off all those fine, fine things to these big, big men. There was no other purpose at all. No one questioned the riches of his kingdom. No one was trying to take away his throne. And he should have used some of those riches in contributing toward the building of the temple and the maintaining of the temple service. But you know, my friends, it's the same today. Plenty of times a ruler or a big man can get very rich. And instead of turning and using those riches to further God's work, they want to eat all the money for themselves, to have big, big feasts so that all their friends can come and say, Oh, look at the big man now. Is it, is it true, Mrs. Chin Chin, 
that there had been an uprising among the people and the king gave this big feast to try to stop a rebellion. Some people have said that, Ganwo, but I cannot say for sure that it's true, though it does sound likely. We do know that it was some fine, fine feast that lasted for seven days. I was glad to see that the king did not try to make the people feel uncomfortable if they did not want to drink wine. They were told to feel free to refuse. Yes, I thought that was interesting, Ganwo. I know sometimes Christians can go to parties and be made to feel very uncomfortable and embarrassed because the host or someone keeps urging them to take drink. Most people, though I have found, are very courteous to Christians and always have fun to us something else for them to drink. In fact, I have been surprised that a lot of our big, big men here, even if they're not Christians, do not seem to feel like they have to drink alcoholic beverages to be accepted. It's harder for young people, Mrs. Jinjin. Sometimes your friends can really abuse you if you say you only want to drink Fanta. Well, maybe you have the wrong kind of friends then. If they want to make you look foolish, they are not very good friends. And certainly a person who has had too much to drink can really look foolish. And I'm sure that this is why the king got himself in such a fix. He really loved Bastai, the queen. But he put himself in a position that he couldn't get out of, probably because he had had too much wine. Bastai may have known this. Maybe she didn't want to come out in front of all those men when they were in that condition. The king really dishonored himself as her husband. He should have protected the modesty of his wife. It was even against the custom of the Persians for the women to appear in public, and the king did wrong to command her to do such a thing. If he had not been drinking too much, he would not have done this kind of thing. When the wine is in, the wit is out, we read. In other words, a man's good sense is lost when he is drinking too much. That makes it seem even worse than that the king's wise men blamed Queen Vasta. But maybe this is where that word providence comes in. <laughs> God's plan being put into action, Ganwo. All these circumstances being put together to bring Esther into the center of history in the working out of God's purposes for his people. But more about that story in our next lesson. I can hardly wait to see, Mrs. Jinji, the next thing that will happen. <laughs> well, thank you, friends, and tune in for the rest of our story in our next lesson. And thank you for listening to Bible College by Radio. May God bless you and keep you in all your ways.